0: Gall. Oh, and I'm joined by uh,
1: Moses
2: and Ted.
0: And you're listening to the Last Refuge of the Incompetent. Um, and this week's theme is um, feminist sci-fi through the ages. Um, but mostly just first and second wave.
2: <laughs> you wanna? Do we want to mention our theme song that our listeners just heard?
0: Oh yes. I would love to mention our theme song that our listeners just heard. So this is the second week that we have this theme, th- theme song and forgot to mention it last week. But um, the wonderful Focus Bird has uh, recorded for us a um, an original piece of music. And uh, she was inspired by a um, an Ursula K. Le Guin quote. Um, and uh, I like it.
1: <laughs> I think we all agree. Yeah. <laughs> that it's good.
0: Yeah, it is really good.
1: We are eternally grateful to Sarah. I mean, Focus Bird. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah I, don't, I didn't ask her. I mean, her name is Sarah. <laughs> um, yeah, and you can check her out on our band camp, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so we're talking feminist sci-fi, but we're focusing on like two major works, um, a book that was written in 1915 called Her Land by a woman named Charlotte Gilman Perkins and then another one that was written in it was written in 1970 published 1975 called The Female Man by Joanna Russ <laughs> the,
1: the Female Man
2: <laughs> special delivery yeah, it's
1: not about the post office uh, I just finished The Female Man an hour ago so I'm I'm ready to talk about it Oh,
0: perfect and i actually we're also going to talk about a movie as well um uh called um born in flames and um i just finished that about an hour ago as well
2: same (laughs) we're we're experts
0: now (laughs) we are yeah that's how this shit works uh but speaking of that film and the music that we're gonna play because um that born in flames Ted, they play that song "Born in Flames" a lot of times. The-
2: <laughs> yeah, we're also gonna play the song "Born
0: in Flames." <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a great three song. times
3: the show. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: but um, maybe if we want to talk a little bit about music inspirations, I've got some ideas, and I'm sure Ted does as well. Um, well what were you thinking this week, Ted? Um,
2: yeah, I was gonna play "Born in Flames" and also a lot of um, of that, like. Early '80s post-punk um, by women, some All Pairs, maybe some Delta Five, the Raincoats, um, sort of stuff, and then uh, I don't know, Yenny Val, uh, a Welsh <laughs> song about patriarchy, um, <laughs> maybe some Bjork or The Knife. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was going like so. I was thinking about the music that the person writing this would have been listening to at some point. And um, there's like, uh, there's music from the suffragette movement um, protest music written, you know, during the, maybe not, you know, around the time that Charlotte Mm -hmm. Gilman Perkins would have been working and, you know, about the thing, the things that she was writing about. And then also I was thinking like, what would Joanna Russ have been listening to? And there's, there's this, um, like, lesbian record label from the, um, 60s and 70s called Olivia Records that, um, got some stuff that might make it into this, depending on, you know, <laughs> how sappy Ted is, uh, feeling, and, uh, uh, yeah, A I secret. also, I'm always sappy, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, and I was also thinking of some, some post-punk stuff, like, uh, mercenaries and things like that as well. I don't know if there's anything else I wrote about. Oh yeah, and then stuff. The Born in Flame soundtrack is really good too. So, things like that. Hey there, everybody. It's Gaul again. As always, interrupting to remind you that if you would like to listen to the episode without all the music edited out, then why don't you go to our website, lastrefugepod.com, and it tells you all the neat ways that you can listen to all the music that we talk about that we can't play on a podcast, for legal reasons. And if you don't care, please enjoy the wonderful sounds of Focus Bird. everybody welcome back um we are talking feminist sci-fi and before we move into this like first wave feminist sci-fi versus second wave feminist sci-fi let's just give a little mention to um a book some of you might have heard called frankenstein by a woman named mary shelley and um it's considered like a feminist sci-fi novel really only not only but mostly because it's written by a woman at a time when women writing was not necessarily um, a common thing. Can you thing?
1: imagine a female <laughs> author, Kate Rowling?
0: Yeah, so thank you. Can you, Im-
2: can can
1: you, imagine,
0: you imagine such imagine? a thing? And, yeah, um, will go ahead, Ted.
2: I don't believe, I don't believe Frankenstein uh, passes the Bechdel test. so. <laughs>
0: no. <be>
2: <laughs> The only uh, female characters are, like, yeah. saintly sisters.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the, she's writing, like, an a, a story that, like, isn't necessarily about, you know, women falling in love or getting married. So I think that the, the, part of the reason why people consider it sometimes as feminist is because of that. Yeah. But yeah. um, we focused on two works this this time around. Um. The first one, written in 1915 by Charlotte Gilman Perkins, uh, was written during the first wave of feminism. Um, do you, I mean I know? Do you, does anybody want to describe what that means? Or I mean I can. It's it's pretty simple. Of like first wave from The idea of waves of feminism wasn't really um, come up with until the 60s um, when quote unquote second wave feminism came about. Um, but first white feminism really just focuses, for the most part, on, on like, legal um, actions around women's rights. And most importantly, around um, women's right to vote and suffrage. And um, Yeah, you know, she was
1: an American.
0: Yes, she was an American, and women didn't get the right to vote until 1920 with the 19th Amendment. And uh, this book was written in 1915. And she wasn't just, like a suffragette. She was actually, like, a pretty radical person and um, character in her own right, and uh, you can see that in her writing, and um, yeah. Yeah, she wrote
1: the, the Yellow Wallpaper, I think, is our most famous, aside from her lands, short story.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Which is not sci-fi. It's just depressing. <laughs> it's about depressing.
2: And depressing yeah. because of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, she like, was divorced and remarried, and she grew up poor, and a lot of suffragettes especially were not were not poor women, you know, it was a, also a class, um, um, a well, she class- was, go ahead.
2: But she was divorced, which was somewhat radical for the time, but more radical is that She was divorced amicably, and then her best friend (laughs) married her ex-husband and basically helped uh, raise her own daughter. And then uh, after she remarried, when her second husband and her ex-husband both died, her and her best friend just moved back in together.
3: Yeah.
0: uh, Yeah. I mean, when you look at Ventura Life, it was like, actually... I would say even radical for some people now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, she wrote this book called *Herland*, which I don't know. Do you guys know about, I, I should have done more research, but it was written in 1915 and people consider it a sci-fi novel, but, but like just the history of sci-fi, like, I don't think it would have been, you know, that genre I mean, wasn't it's,
1: really. It's go very, ahead. Very much in the like Jules Verne, H.G. Wells style. Of- yeah. The yeah, I mean, just a slight extension of the adventure novel.
2: Yeah. And it's really like a classical utopia in yeah. um, mm-hmm. In a way, you don't see much in like the second half of the 20th century.
0: Yeah. Um, what did I just read? in H.G. Wells. Oh, the Time Machine. So mm-hmm. I just and it it felt very like they are in the same vein. Do you know what I mean? Like not much plot. <laughs> per se, like, a lot of it is just, like, here's a weird idea, let's explore that, um, uh, especially with the time machine, but, but yeah, I think Herland kind of fits in that as well.
2: And she also published it as, like, in serial installations in her own magazine that she, like, wrote and edited
3: all mm-hmm. by herself,
2: um, so it wasn't necessarily written for, like, a sci-fi audience that existed, it was just, um, you read my my magazine and this is what you're going to read.
0: Right. Um Oh, I I could mention this in case anybody's like annoyed that I didn't wasn't got didn't get specific enough, but the term first wave feminism was first coined by journalist Martha Lear in a New York Times magazine article in March 1968 titled The Second Feminist Wave. Um thought I should thought I should mention that.
1: That's a good good clear up. <laughs> uh yeah. i'll mention a bit about the story of what her land's about
0: oh thank you moses
1: <laughs> and it's uh it's three dudes mm-hmm. three uh uh you know men explorers uh they go off into some uh, named Gentleman wilderness gentlemen explorers, explorers yes, that's right they, they're all very yeah. well off well to do one <laughs> of them's super rich so he can just finance it can do whatever you want
3: mm-hmm. uh
1: they go off exploring and then they find an isolated land that turns out it is populated only by women uh, and has been for 2000 years when it was sealed off in a volcanic uh, event. Uh, and uh, magically the the women developed the power of parthenogenesis. They can reproduce. Mm-hmm.
3: Sexually. Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's the conceit of the book is how would a, could a society develop uh, under those conditions and then, uh, what kind of culture shock would it be for three dudes who stumbled into it?
0: Yeah. I mean, and the society that she's writing is is a utopia. It's like free of yeah, war. Conflict, and,
3: yeah. Ugh.
0: Which I think I as a present feminist, <laughs> I have some issues with. But it, it it exists for a reason when she was writing it.
1: Yeah, I definitely feel yeah. like she's she's painting the picture. Here's a here's a best possible scenario where there's no pain. Like we should at least strive for that by working together, because it's like a very socialist utopia where mm-hmm. everyone is uh, working for each other. Yeah, uh, sisters are doing it for themselves. I believe from <laughs> <in> this book. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, uh, but yeah, there, the
1: that is certainly like the most the most striking absence is like any kind of strife within the nation of women uh and it's kind of it's the creepiest part is that it's explained by like well we just bred away those traits yeah kind of it's like there's a shadow of eugenics to it and also in uh charlotte perkins personal life doesn't have the best opinions on race it turns out so Mm.
0: Do tell. I didn't look into that.
1: Oh, yeah. It's on our Wikipedia where she pretty much says, like, well, imagine every uh, society or every civilization could be ranked numerically on a scale development. And sometimes you'll have a higher. Yeah, it's, it's very scientific. You can just assign a number. And, you know, when a level 10 society encounters mm-hmm. a level 4 society, it's OK for the 10s to use the 4s as labor. Because huh. it just numerically makes sense.
0: What is wrong with people?
1: So yeah, yeah, that was uh, a few, you know, the major players in that era. Yeah.
2: Or, yeah. yeah her, so her and, and her land, uh, it's somewhere in South America. But um, yeah. when they, when the men start learning about the history. We find out that they're like an Aryan race that yes, came I from that. maybe yep. Atlantis. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep.
2: The, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> the the so, natives who are outside of her land are frequently described as savages. But um. that, that part of the book is not very progressive.
0: But <laughs> no. the gender
1: equality is
2: very progressive.
0: It is. It and
1: is. all you have to do is just extend that to equality for all peoples. <laughs> <laughs> the same ideas apply.
0: Um, Yeah, why don't we play a little bit of music, take a little (laughs) break, and then we'll come back. Talking about um, the things that got right and the things that got wrong, and um, one of the things that like, I mean, it's it's actually it's really fun to read sci-fi from a particular era that, of not your own because you can like really like see the context a person is writing in, and you know this is a, a very intentional novel where like she's like I want to write about women's like place in society and what what could be better for us.
1: Um yeah, and the whole uh the men go in to explore and find out what's going on and they have to give up all their crazy no- their preconceived notions of wait, wait, women can do like work in a <laughs> right. women right. don't just, aren't just caddy and fight with each other all the time. <laughs> they can cooperate and build a society. Women can think I don't know about this guy's <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, she kind of creates these, like, three archetype characters of men, right? Like, one is, like, a classical... Um,
2: chauvinist?
0: Chauvinist. Yeah, Macho yeah. Man, Terry,
1: he's very Teddy Roosevelt.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, um, what is that? One there? is,
1: like, a southern dandy who's like, women are just <laughs> angels, and I love
0: yes. them. Yeah, which is, like, <laughs> another form of, you know... Yeah,
1: just c- putting them on pedestals.
0: Right. And then and,
1: uh, the, the narrator Mont- is in the middle he's like a he's a sociologist and i try to come at things with a scientific mind i like to think
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think he's like the the male feminist example that she's writing about yeah
2: yeah it would it would be very interesting i don't know if there are records of like what our reaction to this would have been from at the time by a male reader you Mm. had any male readers because it is written from the perspective of this male narrator and who's constantly talking with his other two male friends and I feel like it's intentionally done that way to be like as convincing as possible right because it's always like it always starts from a male perspective and then like narrates how he had to change his mind just by his exposure over time to this all-female society
0: mm-hmm hmm yeah I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything, but...
1: And it's nice how the characters over the course of the book get more and more embarrassed at, you know, how our home society's been doing with crime and poverty and everything and how it's absent here, and they just don't want to tell their <laughs> hosts. They're like, uh, no, I mean, you know, poverty's pretty cool. It's fine. It's fine. Don't, <laughs> don't ask any follow-up questions, please. Yeah.
2: yeah, they get really good at, like, euphemistic answers. <laughs>
0: um. Yeah. One of the things, like, reading it now that, like, is, I, I guess if you're writing U- Utopia, you can't really be nuanced. Although, unless you're Ursula K. Le Guin. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think when you're reading it now, you're like, why are these, why, like, what a society of only women just breed this, like, perfect place? Like, we've got our problems, too, you know? Like, But, you know, she's writing a Utopia, I guess. I don't know. That's my thinking.
2: Because the principle of motherhood uh, comes (laughs) to define the entire society.
0: Yeah, Um, I mean, you see that in, like, what she's writing about the time, like, the most revered profession of these women are teachers, because that was the job of women, you know, at the time, and it's, like, the most respected position in their society, and it's also like a, I mean, she's writing in 1915, but... I don't think that's an excuse per se because you could find queer literature around that time, but maybe not from her. But yeah, I mean, the, the, these <laughs> yeah. society of women, they don't, they're not lesbians.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She totally <laughs> avoids any kind of like <laughs> sexual politics. Uh, yeah. Except to show that the, the chauvinist guy is a real jerk.
0: Right. And yet somehow these three men all eventually get Fiancés, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, and they try to like reinvent marriage in this society and it doesn't really work, which uh, I think was part of the interesting thing. Yeah, that was and, nice.
1: Um, like, yeah, I, after two thousand years, uh,
2: uh, they're just gonna accept
1: men immediately and or even think th- think the same way as another society. So it was nice to show that like, no, it, societies really do develop differently. Right. And are not immediately compatible.
0: Right.
2: right. Yeah, I mean publishing publishing this in like a, a magazine, if she had included, you know, lesbianism in it, I figure like she could have easily gotten arrested for like obscenity charges for yeah. you know, right. sending obscene material through the mails. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you but you but could
0: I, they all people wrote euphemistically at the time. Yeah, you know and me? she obviously doesn't like, like, try that. Yeah, she doesn't. Well, because I guess she's just writing from her very, she's a straight woman. I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway.
2: I mean, yeah, but yeah. And they are, I mean, because of Parthenogenesis, they are all technically sisters or (laughs) everyone is related to each other.
0: Um. Yeah, but in the female man, that's also the case in that one society. And yet they are still lesbians. She, she, she didn't factor that one
2: in. <laughs> um, I, another fact about like the publishing of this is it doesn't wasn't published as a book until the late 70s, so it was kind mm-hmm. of taken up again by the generation that Joanna Roos was a part of. Right, um, it was interesting. But I don't know. I mean, kind of to defend uh, her land, both the like teachers being um, the highest like profession and uh, the whole racism thing. Um, <laughs> like one of the one of the reasons the society is uh, so perfect is they've been like s- selectively breeding that. But because it's parthenogenesis, um, you can't actually you know recombine DNA. So like it is mostly a society that has reached sort of perfection through education. Yeah. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: And. Yeah, because yeah, they,
1: they all came from the one, you know, mother 2000 years ago. Yeah. And there's some all the women have the power to either suppress the parthenogenesis or encourage it. So there's that kind, kind of autonomy that doesn't exist in real life over reproduction.
2: And if you're like an exceptional person, you get the right to have multiple children, which mm-hmm. is sort of weird like psinkoism. Well, yeah. I guess uh before the term, but um, yeah, and I mean yeah, she's def- she's like a feminist socialist of an era of both, like, where new biological ideas were very prevalent uh, and, you know, became scientific racism, and she's definitely kind of like a Fabian socialist of, like, socialism from above by right, um, right. guiding people to be their best through education and Yeah, the design of society sort of intentionally.
0: Um, I think it's a worthwhile read now, especially just because it's always I don't think I've ever read sci-fi from that time period. That's not a little bit (laughs) messed up. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like, that's just what you're getting from that from that writing. And I think that, like, it's pretty cool to read a novel that in theory could be written now I mean with some tweaks but um, there's there's something there's something to it um, for sure
2: and it's um, for being you know over a century old it's still kind of funny yeah (laughs) yeah like having these men just like uh like misunderstand and mess up over and over again and go oh gosh
0: we were wrong (laughs) (laughs) it yeah for sure
1: i'll bribe these women with a shiny amulet (laughs) she just takes it from him he's like blast (laughs) they're getting away
0: Um, Oh, I did want to mention, I mean, uh, a lot of, like, feminists at the time that she was writing, and I think Charlotte um, uh, Perkins Gilman herself wrote a lot about marital rape um, as an Mm -hmm. issue, and that is something that comes up in this novel, Um, and I think she does it really interestingly, so that the, the the bad guy or the, <laughs> the not, chauvinist man the chauvinist guy Terry. teddy roosevelt um <laughs> he like you know out of frustration attempts to rape his um wife alima and um you know that that doesn't go over very well in that society he, and he stands trial before the woman and he's ordered to return home to his homeland which is kind of how this whole story wraps up um but the other men like even terry the feminist they're not particularly disapproving of his actions and they kind of see him as more impolite rather than criminal and when like they're explaining to i think the other guy van is explaining to his partner he's like oh it's not a crime that's a hard word for it after all <laughs> yeah. Aliva was his wife so he had every right um which is still a thing that exists in this society. So uh, yeah, yeah
1: I mean, until the 70s, it was still legally not even on the books, right?
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and the narrator even says when they when Herland puts Terry on trial for this, the narrator even says like uh, like we couldn't think of a single instance of this being like treated as a crime right. uh, in our entire society, which was probably true. I mean, could have been easily true at that point.
0: Yeah, and I I think she she does a good job of, of like, writing it from his perspective, and and the narrator, it has a bad, I think, in Charlotte Perkins Gilman's view, a bad opinion on marital Mm -hmm. rape. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I thought that was interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and again, that's an instance where it'd be very interesting to know, like, would that have changed the minds of male readers at the time or would they have just like rationalized it away or like gone plowed right oh. through
0: it? Yeah. Do, uh, listeners. Does anybody know? Is
2: it, is it... <laughs> Who was yeah. alive in 1915? If you're 140 years old, get on your computer machine. Email us at...
0: uh, there's another thing I thought was interesting with like her views on womanhood, which was, um, In this utopia um, that, like, there's everything that these women make is this combination of pragmatism and, like, aesthetics so like this beauty and pragmatism which is like this in her i think in what the writer's mind is like what this ideal of womanhood is
1: i I, I read a few more short stories by her because i you know got the collection of a bunch of them and several times not just in her land but several other stories she talks about how great it is to have clothes with pockets
2: (laughs) (laughs) i was just gonna yeah mention that That's sort of the first thing they notice is when they're originally sort of kidnapped by the Herlanders. Uh, They wake up in this chamber with, like, a closet full of clothing. And it's like, oh, it's so so practical and comfortable (laughs) and there's pockets (laughs) everywhere.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Talk to a woman now. That's like... (laughs) Yeah,
1: still to this day, it's a problem.
0: Most insufferable meme in the world is...
2: Yeah, it That's sort not of true. it sort of predicts both the era of uh, athleisure and yeah. and dresses with pockets
0: discourse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a real discourse, man.
2: <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll mention one more thing that I uh, didn't expect when reading *Herlands* uh, yes. was uh, the little little animal rights thread in there. Oh yeah, yeah. About how they uh, well because they're in such, like an isolated. Uh, Geography, geology. They, you know, they had to get rid of all cows and horses and things, and they end up only keeping cats to uh, as pets to help uh, yep. protect the trees from, you know,
2: mice and vermin. And they're cats that have um, They've been bred, bred out not to eat eat uh, birds. So yeah.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah I remember that now. That's,
1: That's like, I, what, I, 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 oh, go ahead. No, they're in, they're interrogating the men, or they're. T- talking to the men about, like, what's life like outside there? Do you, you keep animals? And he's like, oh, yeah. Great. Uh, first of all, the Terry, the chauvinist, is like, where is all the freaking milk around here? <laughs> <laughs> they like, uh, we have plenty of milk for our babies. What are you talking about?
2: I just got like, milk no, some udders.
1: <laughs> I need the milk for adults. And they're like, what? Gross. <laughs> 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 and he explains the whole dairy farm thing, and they're like, that's sounds pretty bad man that sounds kind of gross to me Uh, and then uh he's terry the same guy is like and there's no dogs around here dogs a man's best friend (laughs) guess not a woman's best friend and (laughs) and the women say yeah it is too bad i know we just don't have enough room for all these cool animals but dogs in in your world must be so happy right roaming free and running around and terry's like no we keep them on chains (laughs) oh they don't get like angry like yeah they bite children all the time (laughs) and they're like oh
0: when but imagine
1: I'm... the, imagine the stray dog situation in 1915. It must be yeah.
0: terrible. Yeah. Do you, I remember reading up about like I'm um, the like creation of animal animal rights like uh, legal animal rights and I'm trying to remember the time period of that. Um but like there was some bad stuff going on in animals especially in the United States and
2: Now it's fine. But... <laughs> yeah, now
0: it's great. <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
2: Uh, but no, no, that's. I mean, that brings up another interesting aspect of the book, which is that like one of the reasons their society is so perfectly planned is early on um, after the parthenogenesis starts, like all the women are having five children, uh, mm-hmm. and they reach like the carrying capacity of their little um, Holland-sized country, mm-hmm. um, and they start getting rid of like cows and most livestock and. Instead, trying to, like, maximize the caloric value they can get out of... Yeah, um, they replant for
1: it, and they, it says that it takes them, like, 200 years to reshape their society so that they're actually sustainable.
0: Yeah. She also talks about the physicality of the women, like, they're not these, like, little dainty... Um, uh, what's the word? Breakable... That's not the word I was looking for, but that's the word that came out of my mouth. Yeah,
3: there are no fainting
1: couches in her land. Everyone right. does work outdoors. Right. But everyone also is smart and knows everything.
0: <laughs> it's a perfect society. Yeah.
2: Yeah, there. I mean, she frequently, she off, she repeatedly writes about how they're sort of, um, not mannish, but like they're not. They're as much men as women, which sort of is another interesting uh, foreshadowing of the network we're going to be talking about. Yeah,
1: that's um, what, like, the the men have come to realize that everything that they had marked as feminine or all the things they desired as femininity were just subservience and weakness.
0: Right, right. So,
1: great. great hopefully that message got through to any male readers back then. Like, oh, maybe it <laughs> isn't cool <laughs> to treat women as property and things. and. <laughs> I don't know, much to think about <laughs>
0: oh, on that note let's play some music Yeah. <laughs> oh welcome back, welcome back everybody welcome back
2: you gotta give me some warning
0: (laughs) no warning Um, you you should know Ted after we've played music we come back Uh, Moses uh, pointed out you
1: just told us what we listened to
0: (laughs) yeah Um, Moses say what you were pointing out about Ted's physicality right now
1: (laughs) well well, Ted got up to adjust his window so we wouldn't have so many uh, noises that's, so any noise problems, blame on Ted. Uh, and then we saw he was wearing uh, Wages for Housework shirt, so cheers.
2: Yeah. Can tell
1: us more about that shirt, Ted.
2: Um, I got it from a Zazzle store Uh, made Great. by a Marxist grad student.
0: There you go. He's
2: a Marxist professor now. It uh, does. But go ahead. We'll talk about Wages for Housework uh, when we get to Born in Flames. Yes. Because it's in the movie. Oh, no, right.
0: Just what I was ah. about to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's move on to the second wave, people. Second wave. Sure. Second time we're waving. We're tank um, ten. <laughs> Ooh,
1: I regret saying that.
0: <laughs> Would any of you gentlemen like to? I don't. Do you guys know what? You guys know what second wave feminism is. Does anybody want to describe what it is quickly? I could do it again, but I' <laughs> throwing it over to you. <laughs> you don't have to.
2: I feel more confident in you doing this. <sighs>
0: I mean, it's very simple. It's just like the sec. It's just coined in the 60s. um, Uh oh, my husband's making noises around here. Um, It was a period of feminist activity that kind of began in the United States, lasted roughly about two decades, spread across the Western world. And it was not about like these set legal things that are. You know, affecting people was more about this institutionalized um, gender inequality that was existing. Um, it was about gaining enfranchisement, um, and uh, it was really centered around or broader ideas of sexuality, family, the workplace, reproductive rights, and like just de facto inequalities and um, that existed. You know, patriarchal, male-dominated society um yeah and uh that's when joanna russ was writing or Rus was writing what's correct was i saying it I, wrong
2: i have no idea when uh, i said it Rus came out of my mouth but i don't think you spent right. a lot of time in norway ted so yeah. <laughs> that's, where, that's where they have the
3: boost, right
1: yeah
2: yeah so in in, in norway Rus is this thing where like in their senior year uh, high schoolers will just like um like get on a bus and drink for a month <laughs> um, it', it it's, means
1: red right they dress all in red
2: yeah it's like they they do it like right before finals it's it's a weird phenomenon but it would, imagining joanna Roos is <laughs> <laughs> there's
1: a there's an internet series about these high schoolers a high school drama called which is it called skam, skam i think
2: that
1: sounds right. Anyway, that's how I learned about Produce Boos from some friends who were watching that series. <laughs>
0: um, sweet.
1: Anyway, join us. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so she uh blah 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 blah. She this book was written the female man. Ladies and gentlemen, the female a man. Uh, this book was written in 1970, published in 1975, and um she, so. We could talk a little bit about the context that she was writing sci fi in because a lot of this, like, sci fi that was written in the 70s that's, like, termed now as feminist sci fi was reactionary to, like, the incredibly male dominated, incredibly sexist writing that of, like, this genre was dominated under. Um, And and I think we mentioned it when we talked about Ursula K. Le Guin a few episodes ago, but, you know. Yeah,
1: last episode. Uh, Brendan Gall, your husband, if you remember who that is. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> uh, he brought up Robert Heinlein and we might've cut this part out for time, but no, yeah, only- like all, all the women in Robert Heinlein's, are books are very, um, one note, let's say.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think, I don't know if we mentioned this when we talked about Octavia Butler, but a lot of the reasons why she ended up writing what she wrote was because she, you know, she was a big fan of sci-fi and she was like, this is what's coming out. I can do this better, you know? <laughs>
2: Also, when we were talking about um, Ursula K. Le Guin uh, and The Left Hand of Darkness, how um, it's, you know, it's a work about gender, but it was also criticized for not actually, like, centering women Mm -hmm. characters. The person criticizing Ursula K. Le Guin, among others, was Joanna Russ.
0: Yeah, uh, this book is about gender. Yeah. And centered around women characters.
1: I mean, it's centered around Joanna Russ.
2: Or is it? Is well, it? It is. But it isn't.
0: But it yeah, is. Yeah, there there are four characters. Their names are Joanna, Janine, Jeanette, and Jell. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, and the author herself says there's something very J-ish going on here.
0: <laughs> and I don't know if Ted is going to pick this, but there there is a a a, a song by Meg Christian, who was one of the women behind Olivia Records, called Joanna. So, if I find it, I'm putting it in. Are we (laughs) gonna play
1: any Joanna Newsome? She might have some. (laughs) She's my favorite.
0: (laughs) Um, so let's play. Let's go to a music break right now. Why not? Harping the entire time. The entire time. He put down his bass and he picked up a harp and he's just... yeah. He,
2: he did
0: the air harp. <laughs> he just been air harping the whole yeah. time.
2: Not, just just so people know, like we don't play recordings of music. I just <laughs> play live. Heard really from good. All the songs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um a man
2: of many talents.
0: Moses, <laughs> do you want to give us a little synopsis? Uh, synopsis. Yeah, of
1: female the female man. man. Uh, yeah. Uh, It's very fresh. Like I said, I just finished it an hour ago (laughs) and uh, it is set in a kind of multiverse like Mm -hmm. it explicitly talks about the Everett many worlds uh, theory, uh, which is major points for me, a physicist. (laughs) I mean, you know, many worlds, it's got its proponents um, in the world of physics, but for me, it's the best sci fi. (laughs) Uh, And so Joanna Russ Has these kind of different worlds That then people from them uh, Start There's travel between these worlds So one of them is uh, A future world called While Away Mm -hmm. A future world of Earth Where all men have died off in a plague uh, And now it's a society Of just women Much like her land was Except it definitely feels a lot realer like, there's actually the whole spectrum of human emotion in this world. <laughs> uh, it's not like an ideal utopia. It is There are definitely socialist utopia aspects of this world, but it's not like just everyone's mindlessly happy all the time. Yeah. And uh, so someone from that world discovers how to travel between these different realities. And so we go to a present day, uh, 1969, where the author, Joanna Russ, is hanging out. And then also mm-hmm. an alternate universe, 1969 where the depression never ended and world war two never happened where Janine is hanging out depressed. Yeah. Uh, but I, I enjoy the book a lot, not just cause it mentioned the dumb physics thing. Uh, but also cause it's, it's art, sci-fi and memoir and, and like journal. Uh, it's, it's, she puts herself in the book, uh, in ways that are funny. And, yeah. and the book is constantly really self-referential. And, like, she refers to herself as the author, and the other characters kind of acknowledge that she is writing them. Sometimes she is – Joanna Russ is part of the scene orchestrating events,
2: and sometimes she's just, like, a voyeuristic spirit. Yeah. And, sometimes, and sometimes she is the characters. Sometimes she's with the characters. Yeah, it goes um,
1: between first and third person.
0: That's good. Which I was – It a I was worried, and I shouldn't have been worried, because, so I, both of these books I made, I was in, like, a, a I'm a woman of a certain age, and once you hit a certain age, you you have to join a, a, a book group. What are they called? A Book club. A book club, what? thank you.
3: <laughs> I thing we're doing?
0: Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, and... It was all women. And so we only read female authors, but no, nobody was into sci-fi. So I like when we when it was my turn to suggest things, I would only suggest sci-fi and mm. made people read the female man and people did not like it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Like David. it's
1: wacky and psychedelic and yeah. experimental. I, yes. I love
0: it. It's not an intro to sci-fi book um, for sure.
1: Well, yes. it's also very, very much like um, uh, Erica Jong. Did you ever read anything by her? She, same same era. No, uh, I haven't. Uh, she wrote Fear of Flying was the most famous one, and Half-Lives, that's the other one I read.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: Uh, so the non-sci-fi elements of this book are very similar.
0: What did you think, Ted? Uh,
2: yeah, it is, I mean, it is very formally radical, um, almost aggressively so.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, definitely, does- one little chapter where she apes all the imagined literary reviews she'll get from, uh, critics,
2: uh, patronizing her.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's my kind of book. Yeah. I mean, I can see, I can see why your book club, um, kind of did not like it because it is, like, it's antagonistic towards its reader. Yes. Um, and for example, like, preemptively, um, preemptively predicting all the critiques and sort of making fun of the the critics and the readers for having them um and it's just it's both kind of antagonistic and like slippery like it's she's kind of as the narrator slash subject um slash critic of the novel within the book she's constantly kind of Taking full responsibility and then denying it, um, like it's sort of a complex, like a labyrinth of plausible deniability, almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a little difficult as a book, and um, it's, it can be a little fatiguing. Uh,
0: <laughs> it is for sure. And I I liken it. So I used to like be one of those like people that think they're not people that think they're not being snobs but are actually being snobs when they say I don't understand like modern arts that's just like one one color painting you know those people that are like it doesn't make nobody gets it it doesn't make any sense and they think they're not being snobby but they're actually being snobby in a different way and then my my husband who's an artist was like you don't understand you have to think about the context that it was that it was like produced in and how like for the time period it's like this it's like a it's radical and different. And, and so that's kind of my approach to her land as well. And, you Mm -hmm. know, writing where it's like, maybe not as accessible or it's like a little bit too whatever you're just like, Oh, at the time when this is being written, like it was a big deal. Like it's a big deal.
1: You can really feel the frustration on the page that she has felt like her whole life of being told you're a woman, you shouldn't be thinking this much. Right. Like
2: this book is very much saying, oh, stop telling me that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That sucks to hear.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: I I mean, I'm sure being a woman in an MFA program at Yale in like the 50s or 60s was extremely aggravating. Yeah. Um, I think it definitely deserves to be in like the canon of experimental modern slash postmodern literature along with like Pinchone or whoever.
0: For sure. But I don't think people don't talk about it because it's genre fiction, which is which is often, you know. But like, what for me it doesn't feel like, you know, I'm really a big fan of. You, I know you guys haven't read it, but I talk about it all the time. I really like Lewis McMaster Bujold and the Verkaz, Verkosigan Saga, and that's like, those. oh, good. That's I like, read that's, it yet. That's, that's sci-fi. When people think about sci-fi, it's like, oh, it's like on another world, and they're like, whatever, having a a battle in space. But like something like this and a lot of stuff that, you know, people like Octavia Butler and Ursula K. Le Guin wrote is it's still classified as genre fiction as sci-fi, but it feels so literary. Do you know what I mean? And there's this like stigma about it, which is a little bit.
1: I also wanted to bring up with uh thing I read about Joanna Russ being very pro uh slash fiction. Like she was an early proponent of the term slash fiction comes from Kirk slash Spock, like romance fan fiction about that specific romance. Is
0: that or really just, where it, that it comes from
1: that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was shortened to just K slash S. And she she wrote a really cool essay saying about how, like, this was an avenue for women. Mostly the fan fiction authors were women
3: mm-hmm. uh,
1: having this outlet for exploring their sexuality in ways they weren't allowed to and projecting cool things on Spock.
0: Yeah. I mean, you should. We should mention that in the female man, there are lesbians. <laughs> like in a world that, like, yes. <laughs> unlike her land, in a world where there's only women, eventually the women date each other. <laughs> there,
2: are, there are lesbians on lesbians. There are like multiple dimensions of lesbians. Yes, <laughs> and lesbians.
0: Are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which definitely ties it into a particular era of of you know second wave feminism, like um. Unfortunately, a lot of these second wave feminists like Jermaine Greer are currently TERFs, but, um, you know.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> that's, there's
1: a, okay, I'll let Ted talk,
2: I guess. <laughs> there, there is, in the segment where they go to, um, a alternate reality, um, where it's not, it's just like a war, a literal war between, like, a man land and a, a yeah. woman's land. That section, when I was reading it, I was not confident that Joanna Russ wouldn't be a turf
0: yeah. uh, now if
2: she were still alive.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the that's the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. But she was
2: friends with Samuel Delaney. I don't know.
0: That's true. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, yeah. he wrote an in introduction he's a gay to. Man. Yeah. It's different. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> uh, oh, and that's the other thing we were talking about. I had sent this. I was just like looking for feminist sci fi primers and I was like, Oh, maybe we can read a short story as well and I had sent that Samuel Delaney thing and it's it's interesting that like you know that he's grouped in this feminist sci fi world because you know, he's not writing about women, but I think just writing about different sexualities and Yeah,
1: yeah we should talk more about him next week, I think
0: yeah yeah for sure and For those of you that like star trek we'll talk about star trek next week i don't really have any feelings for it but um our guests do so
2: oh i got, <laughs> good. Yeah.
0: got
2: some baseball.
1: Um. <laughs> baseball how did you know exactly what i was thinking <laughs> i was picturing avery brooks as captain cisco holding a baseball thing <laughs> baseball
2: That's why we're doing the show
0: There was one thing that I wrote that I thought would be worth mentioning. Um, And I don't know, I guess if this is like a spoiler or not, but to talk about like Ja'el's world and that, and the reason for this whole, like why this book exists, like why these women are able to travel dimensions because that's like the most, you tell me, is it a spoiler? (laughs) Gentlemen.
2: I mean, I think we have a pro-spoilers policy <laughs> due <Right>. to go <laughs> on this show. Um,
0: um, yeah, I yeah. mean, they, she eventually... Re- this this fourth place where, you know, we've got this, like, wily... A future
1: dystopia where there's a literal yes. war between the sexes. Yes. And the reason that trans stuff comes up in that section is that the man side of the war then forces a su- su- a fraction of, their, of the other men to transition so they can play the part of the feminine
2: without men mm. at- actually...
1: Uh, touch women.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and they're constantly described as just, like, sad, pathetic creatures who are, like, a, like, yeah, like a parodic imitation of femininity. Yeah, it's
0: not great. It's not great at all. Um, And essentially, this Jael is the one that brings these three other women together, and her whole thing is I want you to go back to the societies the worlds that you were in and I want you to um to continue this battle right yeah
1: make them outposts for this yeah. l- physical war between women and men yeah
0: um, yeah and it, her whole goal is to empower women to overthrow oppressive men and gender roles um, well, she
2: another interesting thing about that is she also tells Janet who is from while away
0: mm-hmm. this
2: um, this manless yes. utopia that like her history is a lie. Men didn't die in a plague. Yeah. Uh, it was that uh, Janet is actually from basically Jael's future, and they just dis- killed all the men in this war, which is yet an, like another example of the book kind of like critiquing its own utopias and constantly like keeping the reader on the back foot. And, yeah. Like, yeah. Whatever you're offered, that's like huh. like you whatever understanding you think of the understanding you think you have of a book she's constantly like trying to pull the rug out uh, from under you
0: yeah and, and janet is like very unwilling to accept that fact yeah. You know? oh yeah go ahead what's that's what you're saying
1: oh uh, you know i was gonna say the world is called while away and they, they constantly refer to the people as while awayans which officially makes this book part of the extended wayans universe
3: yeah
1: <laughs> 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 You're welcome, everyone. <laughs>
0: oh man, Moses, Moses Marsh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh,
1: gall are you gonna edit this episode? Because now you get to choose whether or not to include that.
0: I'm <laughs> only keeping that. It's gonna be an incredibly that, short episode.
2: At one and an hour and a half. Um, um,
0: so I guess the term female man and comes from a um Gulliver's Travels. Did you guys read that? Oh, I didn't see that. I guess. In it, Jonathan Swift refers to the character Queen Anne as a female man. Um, and in in this book, Joanna calls herself a female man because she wants to forget her identity as a woman in order to be respected, essentially, um, which is an interesting second wave
2: <laughs>
0: feminism. Uh, go ahead, Ted.
2: Yeah, I mean, this segment where she introduces um, it is one of the first segments where she is like suddenly starting to write as herself yeah. like not the narrator uh, and she describes a moment where like nothing about her changed uh, externally but she just like realized that she was a man
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, but it it seemed to be kind of quite similar to ideas that are raised in her land where like um like, womanness is defined by not being able to be everything men can be. Yeah. And then, like, once women are allowed to do these male activities, kind of like, womanness kind of dissipates or like fades away or gets hard to define otherwise.
0: I mean, one of the big differences people talk about between like second wave feminism and third wave feminism is this like, third wave feminism embraces this idea that. You can still be, um, quote unquote, yeah. traditionally feminine, right? Yeah. And I think that, um, I mean, I don't know. I'm not putting. It. I have, I have so few, really strong thoughts about things. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't really. Go I
2: ahead. is definitely not on board with that idea. At least a no. female man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. To me, that meant that. Yeah, this, uh, the idea that uh, a man is the default human, like, and she, she just wants to be treated like a person. She just wants to have her ideas, you know, considered and respected instead of shot down. Yeah, for sure. Uh, simply because of her gender.
2: But uh, you, t- you talked about the difference between first wave and second wave feminism as being about, like, formal rights, like yeah. the right to vote and, like, more like society-wide or like in the workplace um relationships mm-hmm. but I, I think the one thing that really uh, connected her land and the female man is that um to the extent that the female man does talk about this utopia while away which it only spends some time of it do some part of it doing like right for like maybe a third of the book it's like a sci-fi utopia and then other points like You think, is it even a novel? Like, Mm -hmm. like, this chapter is an essay by me, Joanna Rust, and it's in my novel, Deal with It. Um, But for being, you know, like 60 years apart, approximately, um, they're both, the utopian aspects of them are both kind of uh, utopias of unalienated labor. Mm -hmm. Like, both of them have these kind of female men um, who are who like reach their full humanity because they like do all the work right. and it's like an integrated part of their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, there's, when it's describing while away, uh, for a while, like she's Janet is talking about how like everyone is working all the time. It's just like the entire life is work. And then later it says that the work week is like 15 hours, <laughs> so <laughs> she's never willing to give you like straight <laughs> answers really just, to many things. But I think both can be true, like uh, because it's unalated labor, they like, their existence is what they do, but it's not actually like 40 hours of work. Right, mm-hmm. right.
0: Let's, um, let's play some music. And then when we get back, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, born in Flames. In fact, Ted has been drumming the entire time. The entire time, Ted has been drumming.
1: He, tr- he was drumming on his air harp. He turned it over and started <laughs> whacking
2: with his sticks. <laughs> you might have thought that was hammer dulcimer, but no, it's hammering on a harp. Yeah.
0: Um, Ted, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you to talk a little bit about. Introduce us to Born in yeah. Flames if you're if you're comfortable with that. Uh,
2: you know, just because I suggested something doesn't mean I can <laughs> talk about it. Out.
0: Never mind. Um, I won't turn it no, into you. I, I can do it. Oh.
2: No, it's 10. Um so it's it was made in nineteen eighty three. Uh, it's a very like low budget film um by Lizzie Borden. Um a uh and it's like it's kind Wait, of act murder
0: yeah she, she yeah, like changed murderous. her name I think her name is like Elizabeth something Borden I don't know what her full name is and then L- when she what is it Ted?
2: Linda Elizabeth Borden
0: okay yeah and she like officially changed it to Lizzie Borden which when you first sent that and I was like Lizzie Borden why is that so familiar <laughs>
1: <laughs> wait was she related to the murderess
2: no she was no. inspired. <laughs> yeah. inspired cool yeah It's kind of shot like a documentary or like a cinema thing.
3: um,
2: Set in a set 10 years after like a supposed like social democratic revolution in the United States, um, but shot entirely in like 1983, New York uh, with no effort to make it look like the future. Um, And it sort of follows these Uh, like, a women's army um, centered around black lesbians and, like, the complaints of women in the supposed social democratic society about their um, continual, like, their complaints about discrimination in, like, the workplace and not, like, getting jobs and, like, sexual assault. Um,
0: Yeah, I, I was reading about it. I read some article, there was an article in the New Yorker that was looking at it, and I guess, like, in that time, like, making an indie film was really, really hard. Um, but
2: to actually put it on film? Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of that stuff was, like, almost, like, guerrilla filmmaking. And when it came out, it was a very big deal because it, like, set a standard for independent film, um, the idea of independent film. Also, Catherine bigelow that's her name right the director oh yeah she's got it she plays a part in this movie uh, <laughs> yeah
2: and then went on to make movies about the cia so
0: <laughs>
2: never know where life will take you
0: yeah i mean it's an incredibly like r- political film like very radically left and um we're on the radio right now and the radio plays a big part in the movie, like pirate independent radio plays a big part in, in the movie. And when I was, um, I'm going to talk, I'm going to geek out a little bit about radio, but like, (laughs) um, when I was studying in Brazil, I did a project about the pirate radio stations that kind of permeated all of the favelas in Brazil. And like the, big thing there was that like you might not have the money for for internet and you might not you know most people don't have like a computer in their phone but like you can get a radio and you can put it down in the middle of like someone's house and a hundred people could stand around it and get the information they need from it and so Mm -hmm. the idea of using you know radio stations as a way to disseminate like radical political ideals is is not new and I Mm -hmm. think that it was cool to to see it in the movie.
2: Yeah, for, I mean, for having, like, for being, like, a zero-dollar budget film, uh, mm-hmm. like, it, it's pretty successful at putting you in this world, um, and uh, and a lot of that is done with, like, creative use of, like, actual protests and mm-hmm. um, mm. complaints, and it sort of, it kind of, man- it sort of has combined... It has like criticisms of both the U.S. of the time it was made, and criticisms of I think the um, like the limits of the kind of orthodox left of the time, right? And combines them by making a future where the orthodox left um, technically rules, and also nothing has changed. So yeah,
0: um, yeah. I mean, the whole crux of the film—it's not like uh like a film that you can really easily describe the plot of but um the like whole idea behind it is that it's discovered that this like supposedly democratic socialist society is is not really the government is is lying to you in some sense um yeah
2: and uh yeah so um there's this women's army that um is like centered around black lesbians and like other women of color And they have, like, bike squads that uh, come to, like, attack rapists.
0: With rape whistles.
2: Yeah, with rape whistles. Um, But they're also, like, a lot of their complaints are about um, not being able to, like, get the same jobs that other people can. Um, And, like, the fact that they're discriminated against in this, quote-unquote, workfare system um, that the social democratic government has set up. And, um... Sort of, I guess, if there's a climactic moment in the film, it's when they um, uh, go into this television station when the president is giving a speech to like demand that their own uh, tape gets played on the air. And the interesting thing is that um, the speech that they interrupt is the president announcing this wages for housework system, um, which you know is like a, a Marxist feminist idea from the 70s that then. In this 1983 film, becomes like uh, kind of an oppressive half measure from a Mm pseudo-socialist U.S. government. Um, Also, the one thing, one little detail that makes it like hilariously specifically 1983 is the women's army makes contact with like African revolutionary movements, but it's specifically (laughs) the movement for an independent Western Sahara. Yep. It's a real movement. I, don't, yeah. I think it's a legitimate independence struggle,
0: but it's <laughs> and it also is filmed in New York City, and so like the them being in the Sahara, they like I don't I have no idea what effect she does on the like camera, but it just like kind of <laughs> fades it out a little bit. Like anyway, I would recommend it. It's a good movie. Um, uh, the soundtrack is good. It's definitely like of an era, right? Like you're not sitting down. You're not if you're like looking for like a I don't know a plot driven film, it's definitely not that, but you know.
1: I'm sold on it. I'm sorry I didn't get around to it to watching it. That's why I've been so quiet. That's all right.
0: It's also <laughs> and, short. It's only an hour and twenty minutes or something like that. Yeah.
2: It's a quick quick view. Yeah. Uh, okay, I This reminds me that Catherine Bigelow did go on to make one sci-fi film, Strange Days, from 1995.
1: Um, Uh, Oh, yeah, that was her. Yeah, it was.
2: It was right after, well, it wasn't right after, four years after she made Point Break (laughs) Break with uh, (laughs) Count Reeves. Oh, my fave. (laughs) Yeah, Strange Days, it's with um, Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett, it's... It's kind of this weird, like, cyberpunky L.A. movie, um, also about, like, police racism, in a way. It's, mm. uh, James Cameron wrote it.
0: No. Oh, they were <laughs> married, felt- right? Weren't they married? Were they married? I, I think they were. They were oh. married.
1: That does not sound unfamiliar to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'm not Wikipedia corner, so.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, uh, it's too long. It's, um, it's a weird movie. It's... Nineteen ninety
0: five, uh, how long is it?
2: Two and a half hours.
0: Two and a half hours in nineteen ninety five? Who's letting movies being made that time? To be that yeah, long? I don't
2: I don't think it was that much of a success, but
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've never yeah. heard of it, I'll be honest yeah. with you. I do like
2: it. watch it and talk about it in the future.
0: That's a good idea. That's like sci-fi. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um Yeah, I mean soundtrack's great. Maybe we'll play a little bit of the soundtrack right now. This lady again. Yep, that's right. It's Gull, reminding you that if you've gotten this far into the an episode and you're still wondering where all the music we talk about is, well, you're listening to a podcast. And so we had to edit it all out. But do not fret. Go to LastRefugePod.com and you'll find all the great ways that you can listen to the music that we talk about. And then you'll feel fulfilled and your life will be calm. Elite. Okay. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and
3: everyone
0: in between. We have been talking feminist sci-fi, and now we're done. In between <laughs> and outside. Um.
2: Welcome back, female men and masculine But, no, that doesn't work.
1: Manlanders. Manlanders, womanlanders,
2: herlanders. And American landers.
0: And non-conforming, gender non-conforming landers. (laughs) Um, Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, If you have, if you are an 140-year-old person who is a man and read Herland when it came out in 1915, please email us at... um, Please get in touch last refuge at the incompetent at gmail.com uh, no it's the, the last
3: the okay.
0: last
1: yeah. refuge of the incompetent at gmail.com
0: we also have a less uh a website last pod.com and um the artwork for this episode is pretty cool i've seen it i've got a sneak peek of it Ooh. <laughs> um check it out
1: yeah right. thanks doll and and brendan for making such a great website
0: oh thank you Hope you join us next week. Uh, Moses, what are we talking about next week? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about representations of marginalized groups in science fiction. Today was one big marginalized group, women,
0: uh,
1: but there are many others, race, sexuality, uh, disability. And so we're going to talk about how that comes up with some yeah, special we're gonna guests.
0: Have, yeah, some really... Uh, tune in. We got some really good guests coming up. And um, for those of you that are like, your show is inaccessible. I haven't read any of this sci-fi. Well, guess what? Next week, our guests will talk about some stuff that you might have seen. <laughs> what,
1: um, Star Trek?
0: Yeah, Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Gattaca. Um, oh, oh yeah, great movie. Yeah. Gattaca. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope you guys join us.
1: All right. Mm. Sleep well, and coputeers. Yes. Science
3: fiction.